and cybersecurity experts Brian Horning, Reginald Andre, and Randy Bryan. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another week of the cybersecurity podcast, Security Squawk. I'm Brian Horning, one of your co-hosts here with Reginald Andre and Randy Bryan. How are you gentlemen doing today? What's up? Doing well, doing well. Nice and sunny today. Very hot, about 96 degrees. Wow. Not too bad. I don't think we're, I think we're 90 or something like that today, but not too bad. We just, we, we just got back from a vacation, Andre, and we were down at the beach. I think the high was like 88, but the humidity was 100%. I mean, and it felt twice as hot down there as it feels up here. Like it'll be 100 today, probably, maybe 105. Doesn't feel near as hot as it did down there by the beach at like 88, 90 degrees, man. Yeah, it's getting hot out there across the country. Um, fortunately for us, we've had a lot of rain with our heat, so it hasn't been too unbearable. Um, unlike the cybersecurity landscape that we're going to talk about this week, which, uh, man, we talked about it a little bit last week, but we know that 2023 is now the most active cybersecurity or cyber criminal activity is the highest it's ever been uh, here in 2023. And we're going to go through some stats a little bit later in the show that back that up. Um, we have some healthcare areas or healthcare uh, sector uh, businesses and organizations that have been dealing with a major issue that we're going to jump into. Um, we're going to touch on a recent settlement from the Kronos uh, ransomware attack that happened back in 2001. It is now almost two and a half years later after the event, and they are still dealing with the outcome and ramifications of that event. And we're going to get into what they just went through in the last month here. Um, there's a water treatment plant that was hit with uh, a cyber attack interesting one. We're going to jump into that one. Um, we also have BlackBite ransomware. Uh, Microsoft did a little bit of a study on this group, and we thought there were some interesting points uh, with this ransomware group that we wanted to bring to people's attention. So we're going to jump into that. And then we've had some breaches at uh, um, a medical facility in Texas that we want to touch on. And Something happened up in with an oil producing company called Suncor in Canada. And we didn't talk about their ransomware attack when it happened, but we wanted to bring up some, some lessons learned that this company is going through on the back end of that ransomware attack. One of them, I think most people find very interesting. So stay tuned for that. So let's just jump right into it. Remember, share the show and uh, ask your questions in the comments. And we will try to answer them as we go through, try to keep them related to uh, what we're talking about. Um, it helps us with the flow of the show. Um, but drop anything, any comments or questions you have uh, in the comments. Remember to share us on social media and give us a review on your favorite podcasting platform if you happen to be listening to us right now. So first one uh, on the docket, gentlemen, is HCA Healthcare. 
and 11 million people affected. An unauthorized party stole a list of information used for email messages to patients and posted it on an online form. HCA Healthcare stated it, it, it in its data breach notice. So um, <clears throat> HCA Healthcare confirmed the data breach that imp uh, impacted approximately 11 million patients resulting from data theft by an unauthorized party. HCA Healthcare is a leading healthcare organization comprised of 180 hospitals and 2,300 ambulatory sites of care in 20 states and the United Kingdom. According to the breach notice, an unauthorized party obtained a list of information pertaining to patients and made it available on an online form. So what do you guys think about this? Here we go again with data exfiltration, and now somebody's just making it available. Um, not good, huh? Yeah, this kind of goes back to um, a couple of weeks ago, we had a podcast, and I think you were asking about would you pay the ransom? When do you pay the ransom? And um, here we have a situation where HCA, HCA basically ignored um, this group. And from there, they decided that they would now try to make money. Um, hey, we can't make money from the hospital group. We're now going to go ahead and put this up for sale. And they had um, takers. Yeah, it uh, sounds like they gave them until the 10th and they didn't reply. And so they went ahead and started offering it up for sale. The uh, disturbing thing here to me um, is the data includes um, service date and location, and it also includes their next appointment date, which means uh, it would be easy to craft a phishing email that said, hey, thanks for coming on you know, May 2nd. We've got you down for July 11th. Please click here to sign in and prepay. You know, boom, they get credit card information. They get more personal information because everybody knows every time you go to the doctor, you have to refill out all 98 forms from beginning to end every single time, even though it's all on a computer. We haven't figured that out yet. But short story long, this this is a very ripe opportunity for people to get to get fished and for uh, money to get stolen. So. Yeah, hundred um, percent. You know, and this is, you know, obviously we've talked about, you know, a lot of times on this show we've talked about healthcare breaches. Um, you know what the data means to cyber criminals, as you can see here. You know, somebody, you know, and and what I what I want to point out here is the breadth and depth of the cyber criminal community that this particular actor knows if I steal this data, I can monetize it by selling it to other people, which those people will take it to the level that Randy just mentioned, right? These guys who stole the data aren't going to do the phishing. These guys are going to sell it to guys who have a whole operation of phishing campaigns that they can basically, within a few clicks, create what Randy just described and go after these people once they have the email addresses in their database. Um, so this is going to be sold for various purposes, um, phishing being one of them, identity fraud and theft being another. Um, but really, at the end of the day, you know, here we go with another, you know, 11 million people with their information out there just waiting to be used in various ways. And these people are going to wake up one day and be blindsided 
that their information was used as part of some kind of scam or, or something like that. Uh, and that's, that's, you know, the unfortunate part is because the victims of this are, are going to be the people who had their information stolen uh, through this group. Um, so, and this is just the beginning, right guys? The fallout of this has not started yet. This is just, hey, you, this information's out here. This is, this is happening. And now all of these affected individuals are now going to come after this company. And this company is going to have to deal with this problem uh, more than just releasing, you know, a, a statement that says, hey, we've been breached. Um, this is just the beginning. This is kind of like the, the invitation for the, the lawyers out there to come and, you know, go, go uh, you know, build a coalition of the willing to do a class action lawsuit against this group. Yeah. And one, one thing I, I like about, well, not like about the article, what the article mentioned is the next appointment date. Just imagine what, what um, type of phishing emails. Hey, you, your next appointment yep. is in three months. Yep. Click here to, uh, we've made things much easier. Click here so that you can uh, prepay your copay. Enter your credit card number, things like that. So, um, you know, the biggest lesson learned from me out of this article comes right here. Um, and this particular incident, uh, it's pointed out that this incident exemplifies the importance of, em of employing strict security controls wherever patient data is stored. Sometimes non-critical systems such as email notification platforms are not secured at the same level critical patient care platforms might be. But a lot of the data is the same sensitive data and should be treated as such. And he you know, I want to break this down for everybody so they understand like what this means, because a lot of people have a lot of different perspectives on what cybersecurity is, what certain functions of like, say, email encryptions do and don't do. Um, and I want to kind of break that down for everybody and talk about it with you guys, because it sounds like these, this was stolen, uh, stolen out of a system, maybe an email system, like somebody got access to somebody's Gmail or Outlook, um, and they were able to pour through that information and find this protected health information, which, whether you want to believe this or not, most health care organizations, you know, your, your private health information just doesn't live in that, in that health system that they use, you know, they'll, they'll pull reports out, they'll send files to patients, even though they shouldn't be doing it and everything should be uploaded to a, a portal that you can access. We know it still happens. Like the three of us evaluate companies like this all the time. And we know that private health information is still being emailed. Um, and a lot of people get a false sense of security when they click that lock and outlook at the top and say, Oh, encrypt this. And they think if they encrypt the email that, they're, they're kind of like safe harbor that like they're not going to have a problem one day. Um, and I'm here to tell you that that's just not the case. Like an encrypted email just prevents somebody who doesn't actually have access to your email or the person who's receiving the email. It just prevents it when it's in transmission. So when it goes from your outlook to, you know, a server's out on the internet, if you don't encrypt that, it's in plain text. So if somebody happens to breach a server that 
is a transport server for your email along the way. And there's a copy of that where there's header information in that that they can read. That's going to be in plain text as opposed to if you encrypt it and you send it. That encryption, it, it happens while it's in transit. But when it reaches its final destination, that email is no longer encrypted. But what I'm saying here is, is if I breach your email and get into your Outlook or your Gmail, I can see every single email encrypted or not. And I think that's the problem here that most people don't understand. They think, oh, well, I encrypted the email. I had our insurance company. You guys know this insurance company. They're like, they wanted payment information from us. And I turned around and said, I'm not giving you payment information, emailing it to you. They're like, oh, just encrypt the message. And I'm like, and what happens if your email gets breached and my bank account information is sitting in your inbox or your one of your email folders? I have no protection from that, right? And I'm sending that off. So if you think just clicking that lock and, say, and saying like, hey, this is an encrypted email that I'm sending, if you think that that's something that, you know, is protecting you, I'm here to tell you that it's, it's really not. And, mm -hmm. you know, I think that's one of the biggest fallacies with email encryption is that a lot of people think that that's like the end all be all, like the email is now protected because I've encrypted it. And that couldn't be further from what's really going on. All that is doing is, is protecting it from somebody's eyes who shouldn't be seeing it as that email, you know, transport. Like here's, you know, you may or may not know this, so I'm just going to spell it out for you. If I send an email to Randy, it doesn't go from me to directly to Randy, right? It goes from my phone. Let's say I send it from my phone. It goes from my phone. It leaves my phone. It goes through various servers to get to Randy. Like it could be 12 servers. It could be 15 servers. It could be 20 servers that a copy of that email you know, it's called a hop. It goes from one place to another. And then it eventually will get to wherever Randy hosts his email, and then Randy's phone so he can see it. And that's how email travels through the internet. And along the way, it's not encrypted unless you encrypt it. That's what encryption helps you from. So you guys see it the same way? Disagree? Think, think, uh, think I hit the nail on the head there? No, you got it, man. Yeah, I mean, it, it basically ties the email to your identity. And, right. if, and if they get into your identity, they get into your email. So if, like you said, if they get into, let's say, it goes to their Gmail and they're in there as you, then they get to see it. It's the same thing as if you're, you encrypt a machine. So if somebody drives a truck through the, the office wall and steals the hard drives, they can't just pull data off there. But if they can boot that machine up and log in as you, like you have an easy password, that's going to unencrypt it. And then they'll be able to uh, to see everything. So did we lose Brian or is that me that's uh, lagging? Nope, we're here. We're here. I think I'm here. We're good. I did have a couple comments I wanted to add on this uh, particular incident if we're uh, finished discussing the uh, encryption part. Yeah, absolutely. Go ahead. I just think it's kind of funny. Two, two comments. Um, one, we're seeing this more and more. I went and looked at their press release from HCA, and they talk about the things that it's not. And they say, well, it's not your specific diseases. And then they say, it's not your payment information. And then they said, it's not sensitive information like your social security. Well, 
this this falls under HIPAA protected um, information, health information, even though it's just your last appointments and your next appointment that identifies you specifically. So it's still sensitive information, but we're seeing that more and more where these press releases will talk about, hey, well, they didn't get all this and not really focusing on what they'd mentioned what they got, but then they kind of move on um, really, really fast. And then the other thing I wanted to bring up, this information that was stolen was from, a, from an external location. What does that even mean? Does that mean that was on like MailChimp? You know what I mean? Like, was it, was it, was it on like, who knows, but it was on some kind of external location to allow them to do emails. And that's a little bit on the disturbing side that, that private information like that's going out to a third party server, which was then brief. Uh, I guess External location could be could mean at Microsoft 365. I mean, right? They they say it in the, in their uh, press release that it was so they could send out formatted emails. So probably uh, some kind of reminder software or something like that. Right. That was being feeded through. Yeah. But you got to really think about right. You know, that's another thing that you know I think really good. IT and cybersecurity companies bring awareness around for their clients versus, you know, ones that just kind of let their clients do whatever they want and they don't bring things to their attention, you know, and that's, you know, what you, you know, the basically what you call shadow IT, right, Randy? Like shadow IT is the practice of your employees just bringing in whatever they want to you, bringing whatever technology, cloud service they want to get the job done. And that could be what we're what we're talking about here is an element of shadow IT going on where somebody set, set something up to integrate with Outlook. So it send it sent an email out a certain way or reminded them about something. And because they did this, a hacker was able to penetrate that and get all this information. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's why, you know, when when your employees question you know, why can't we do this or why can't we do that? If, if those questions aren't happening in your business, I would highly question your cybersecurity because those are common things that your employees should be saying if you have good cybersecurity. Like, why can't we just do this or why can't we just do that? Right? I mean, yep. you can do it, but it, you can't do it just on your own. There's an approval process that you need to go through uh, to get that approved to be used in the corporate network. And if you don't follow that process, then you don't get it, right? But most companies, a lot of companies don't have a process and they just let their employees kind of do these things and they end up in a world. And look, we had a handle on this before the cloud and then the cloud came along and all these apps that you can now install through the browser and it's the wild, wild west again. Yeah, you know, I tell people all the time, basically before the cloud, you had your server in your closet. And all the cloud is you took your server or multiple servers and moved it to someone else's closet. And you're right. Before we had a handle on it because we had one place where we could watch it all. And now it's all over everywhere. You know, we've we've had companies like somebody at the company is trying to install Dropbox. And it's not, you know, something that they officially use. And so they try to install Dropbox 
because they want to share files with customers or whatever. And then we have to come back and we're like, and they're like, well, why was it blocked? Well, let's see. When you log in as Dropbox, sometimes it will take your documents and, you know, your your desktop and maybe your pictures and sync it up to a cloud somewhere, which makes it more, more vulnerable. And it's leaking out company data, which is what ultimately ends up happening with all the shadow IT, to, to add to your point, is company data that should be corralled ends up leaking out to different places. And like in this case here, they get breached. And now, you know, HGA is probably going to get sued over this. There'll probably be several lawsuits because that appointment data, man, that makes for some easy phishing. 100%. Andre, anything? Well, I'm actually a client of HCA, so I'll, get, I'll keep you guys updated if I get any letters in the mail. No way, really. Yeah, they have one here in, in uh, Aventura. Oh, my gosh. Crazy. All right. Let us know. Um, yeah, so this will be interesting to see what happens here, and uh, we'll keep everyone updated as, as things unfold. Uh, but moving right along, uh, we mentioned at the top of the show that we were going to touch on what happened over at Kronos? Uh, and if we remember, uh, it was a pretty big deal uh, to refresh everybody's memory. Kronos is a major payroll provider and they provide HR management solutions for very large companies. They were hit with ransomware. And um, I mean, I heard stories from uh, I, I heard stories from companies where basically they were giving out cash in their in their lunchrooms because they couldn't run payroll and they had to pay their people. Um, you know, this affected a lot of companies. And now these companies are um, getting involved in a class action lawsuit. But again, I am not a fan of class action lawsuits. Like I remember when I was invited to be part of one because my credit card kept getting compromised by a certain hoagie shop locally. And when I read through the details, it basically said, you'll get $7. Mm -hmm. um, it cost me way more than $7. Trust me. Uh, and that's the, that's the crappy part. Yes. It's going to cost Kronos a lot of money, but if we really dig into the details here at the end, it's pretty astounding how much each victim has been awarded as a result of this uh, agreement, um, which that's why Kronos, Kronos is looking at this, quite frankly, guys, is this is a steal for them. Right. Get, get out of this for $6 million. Um, you know, you can always opt out of the, of the class action lawsuit, um, but they had to pay $6 million to a settlement with healthcare organizations and other organizations across different industries impacted by a data breach that followed their ransomware attack in December of 2021. Uh, what was that? Notice it's saying organizations. It's not even saying the individual. Right. So you, what, what is a company, you know, that's using, that's big enough to afford Kronos can, is going to do with $1,000 or $7,500? Oh, you got the cat out of the bag. So, yeah, as Andre's pointing out, um, aside from providing class members with either up to a thousand or up to $7,500 in payments, UKG has also agreed to bolster its security measures with a more extensive scanning and monitoring program, as well as third party security services. Well, that's vague. I'd like to see the, the details of that. Um, it just article just states in here to compound the matter, the timing of the breach left workers worrying about these financial issues and data concerns in the midst of the holiday season, wondering, wondering if they would be able to make ends meet and how long the problem would continue. 
those worries provided uh, proved concrete as UKG took months to purportedly rectify its security problems, the lawsuit alleged. Um, so they won, I guess. Um, thoughts on this, guys? I mean, I, I, I mean, 1,000 or 7,500, as, as Andre pointed out, just is not going to move the needle in terms of restitution for these businesses. And uh, the hours that they probably lost in their accounting and payroll departments trying to rectify all this and, and deal with pissed off employees who probably weren't getting paid, especially, you know, as you mentioned, right before the holidays, when I'm sure bonus checks and things like that needed to be distributed. Um, you know, crappy situation. What are your what are your thoughts here? Just a uh, reminder, just have a have a backup to every single thing that you cannot, even if you can't control it. So have a backup plan for your payroll. If they went down, what would be your backup plan? Right. That's all you can really do. I mean, you know, as a business. Um, and, go ahead, Randy. Looks like he froze. Oh, he's lagging. Well, I didn't, um, I, I, I was just going to agree with what you said. We don't really know the details of the security program that that came but i think the the point of all of this is it's sending a message to other businesses hey it's super important to have stuff in place to try to limit the the blast radius when an attack occurs and it sounds like chronos hardly had anything and so now they're agreeing on top of the six million, which isn't that much for each individual. You know, it may be a lot for Kronos. I'm not sure. But to also Probably come not. back and say, well, we're going to do this, this and this to keep our data more secure moving forward. You know, that's a huge no, message it, to other businesses. It's, it's, it's not a lot for Kronos. They're getting off cheap. Um, I mean, I think legitimately if all these companies, you know, they – opted out of the class action lawsuit um they would probably get paid paid a significant amount of money but it's like you know how much do you want to pay to recoup how much right so um you know the lawyers are the ones who make the monies on on these things we know that but at the end of the day it's a it's a six million yeah, dollars like two-thirds of it or something right more than that more than likely um but and you uh, know, andre they posted in the chat that they have one. Oh, sorry. I was just going to say Andre posted in the chat they had one point seven nine billion in revenue last year. Yeah. So this is like they they they're winning. They're they're high fiving each other on this one. Like it, that's just my opinion. Like for the amount of businesses that were impacted, um, you know, I was actually one of the ones saying that I'll be surprised if this company survives. Um, and, and we know hmm. based on their SEC filings that they are losing clients because of this. Um, I mean, would you stick, would you stick with a, you know, a, a, a company that got hit with ransomware? <laughs> I mean, I would have, I would have a hard time with that. Um, so, but yeah, I mean, this just really why we brought this up. Just, you know, obviously it is news and it is $6 million and yada, yada. But we talk about the cost of data breaches all the time on this show and try to make people realize. And we've been warning you for years now 
these class action lawsuits will pile up and you will have to deal with them. Well, here we are two and a half years later and Kronos is dealing with, you know, the fallout of this class action lawsuit, um, which, you know, yeah, they're going to agree. They're going to pay $6 million, but they also had to pay to defend this. There were, you know, they had to pay money to lawyers. That's not all being disclosed here. Um, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if this, if this whole entire class action lawsuit cost them probably 15 to $20 million um, you know, to, to pay lawyers and, and everything to get it down to this number. So anything else you want to add before I move on? We good? No, we're good. Cool. All right. So next one up, water treatment plant. Interesting one here. Um, and why we, we, we talked about, I think a couple of weeks ago, and when we went over the Verizon data breach report, we, we did mention kind of insider threats as, as being a percentage of, of what came out of that. And it wasn't a super low number, but it wasn't super high either, but it was the third most common way that businesses get attacked. And here we go with a former employee of Discovery Bay Water Treatment Facility in California was indicted by federal, a federal grand jury for intentionally attempting to cause malfunction to the facility's safety and protection system. Uh, this guy was a full-time employee of a private Massachusetts company under contract with Discovery Bay to operate the town's water treatment facility. But he had an instrumentation and control tech role, which uh, he fulfilled between July 2016 and December of 2020. And the indictment alleges that this person had installed a remote control software on his employer's system and also his personal computer, which enabled him to monitor instrumentation readings and control the electromechanical processes of the facility. And in 2021, he resigned from the employer, but used his uh, personal computer remotely access the facility's network deliberately attempting to cause harm. So, um, you know, in a press release from the U.S. Department of Justice, uh, basically the guy sent remote commands to the water treatments computers to uninstall critical software tools responsible for monitoring water pressure, filtration, and chemical level levels on, uh, on the water. Uh, it's unclear why this person acted in a way that endangered the health and safety of 15,000 residents of Discovery Bay town that the water treatment plant served. Um, the case underlines the risks associated with proper, improper access management to critical infrastructure systems, especially in the case of public utilities with an impact on entire communities. The context of poor cybersecurity practices can lead to significant damage from disgruntled employees with extensive access privileges or hackers. Uh, so what do you guys think? I mean, this, I, I can see, I can picture this right now. You have an employee at a job at a job site. He's in charge of the water and chemical treatment. He's like, hey, boss, you know, on the weekends when you guys need help, uh, instead of driving over, can I just, can I just remote in? Uh, I've seen this team viewer log me in or whatever. And, and the boss says, yeah, go ahead, go for it. It's like, there was no controls. I mean, how can you have a computer that is so important for the water systems for this for this um, city, and anybody can install a software on the machine. And when that employee leaves, there's no procedure to like go back and you know uninstall the software or block access, disable accounts, and so forth. And this is a state contract, 
So like, this is not just, you know, some small business. This is a real deal here. So you, you hit the nail on the head. You know, and this uh, there's, there's our lagger. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, Randy. We got to wait. Go ahead, Randy. We're going to wait for you. You're like five. Yeah, it's pretty bad. Behind us. Yeah. Go ahead. Holy moly. Yeah, I was just going to say this ties back into what you were saying earlier, Brian, about shadow IT. It should have it should have been pointed out when he was working there that he had remote control software on the computer. And, you know, he might have been been fine the day he was fired. But maybe two months later, he got bitter and he's like, hey, I still got this software. I'm going to go back and do some damage. And it never should have been on there in the first place. Never should have been on there in the first place. Improper offboarding, as Andre mentioned, of, of this of this whole thing, right? Um, I think that's like one of the big things people miss is when they let somebody go, they they kind of just leave the computer as is and they, nobody goes through a process of evaluating like what's on there and, you know, should we remove it? As I mentioned earlier uh, in the show, having a process in place for what you can and can't install and and having a process for allowing things like this, you know, you should be aware that it exists on your network in the first place. Um, and then as Randy mentioned, like somebody may leave your organization in a, in a great place, right? You, you're happy with them. They're happy with you. They moved on for a better situation or what have you. You're happy to, to have them, you know, go or see their career flourish or what have you. And everybody's all happy in the situation. And let's say six months down the road, this guy's situation changed. He got fired from his job. He's got, you know, he's got bills piling up. He's got things to pay. He could have sold off access to the system to a, a, a legit cyber criminal instead of him going on there and, and screwing around the way that he did. Um, and it could have been a lot worse. Um, and there's a lot of different things. And as Randy mentioned, people's circumstances change and having that access and continually, you know, the guy must have been going in and checking every so often. Oh, do I still have access? Do I still have access? And he knew that he did. So he got to a point where he was like, all right, I'm going to start doing stuff because I just feel like it now. You know, uh, yeah. it, it almost becomes like, it almost becomes an attitude, I think, of <clears throat> they didn't pick up on this, so it's now their fault. Like, that's kind of where I, what I think creeps in, in in the minds of people that do shit like this. Well, he's going to have a couple of years to think about that part. <laughs> <laughs> but, but why was this computer? I mean, I know why it was on the Internet, but at some point, you know, someone's got to say, you know what? Maybe a computer this this uh, this powerful to do damage shouldn't be on the internet. If we need to do software updates, we have a procedure where you know we we get a flash drive or a CD or something. But yeah. this computer shouldn't just have been willy nilly been able to be on the internet twenty four seven. Hundred percent. I mean, you you again, you hit the nail on that. There's no way you at least have it segregated and highly monitored like if it is like where's the traffic going and you know if it does need or or you lock it down to only communicate to what it needs to communicate to out on the internet um if it doesn't need to communicate on the internet as you said take it off the internet 
um, you know, figure out, excuse me, figure out different ways to get it updated, things like that. All right, I'm going to move along because we only got five minutes about, right? So um, I know Randy's a little bit behind us and probably wants to say something. Randy, just wave when you want to talk. So, all right, so ransomware incidents up by nearly 50% in 2023. And this will probably be the last thing we wrap up with today. Um, I just wanted to talk about this article because um, – I haven't had any real hard data to look at in terms of what's been happening in 2023. Um, I just know from, you know, being friends with a lot of people in the cybersecurity community, um, that doing this show, looking at all the statistics that we have available to us, that <clears throat> 2023 has been a hell of a year for cyber criminals and definitely the most active that I've seen since I've been doing this for quite some time now, well over five years, certain groups are now accessing networks to change or even destroy data and then demanding ransoms, the report says. And ransomware attacks surged nearly 50% in the first half of 2023 compared to the same period in 2022. And man, and weren't we just talking at the end of 2022? Didn't I pull up a, a crap load of articles where people were like, hey, we're getting ahead of ransomware. Ransomware is going to be mm -hmm. a thing of the past. Like, uh, and I was like, eh, not so fast. You know, this is what typically happens. It goes down and then it, it goes right back up. It's like freaking Bitcoin. Um, so here we go. And that's the other thing, too. You know, a lot of times they wait for Bitcoin to increase hmm. before they hit companies with ransom. I mean, if you don't think that that's a thing, trust me, that's a thing. Um <clears throat> You know, why would I want to hit somebody with ransomware if I'm getting Bitcoin at 10K when I can get it at 20K, right? And make somebody pay a hell of a lot more. Um, so this uh, broker, Hodwin, or Hoden, sorry, which found that the uh, first five months of this year have seen significant increase in attacks. Uh, its research was published in its third annual coming of age report revealed that threat actors tactics were also shifting. In addition, in addition to double or triple extortion, certain groups are now accessing networks to change or even destroy data and then demanding ransoms to disclose what has been targeted. I don't remember when I said it last year, but I know I said exactly what they just pointed out as being the thing. Like ransomware was like they were just going to steal data and then destroy it and say pay up. Um there have also been growing instances of physical threats made to companies, executives, and their families or broader context to force victims into negotiations. Wow. Okay. I didn't know that. I mean, I knew that that did happen, but I did not know. Yeah, that's messed up. Growing instances uh, made to, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm aware of one incident where I know that they were calling the CEO's like, wife and kids and contacting them on social media. Um, so, uh, and then um, it also says that a report disclosed from a number of insurance carriers in Q1 of 23 suggested that this had not been accompanied by a rise in claims. So claims are even, but ransomware attacks are up. What does that tell you guys? Um, a couple of things. Maybe less people are getting cybersecurity insurance, you know. 
a lot of times it's the people that are thinking about cybersecurity that are also getting the insurance. Like that's something that we highly suggest practically require for clients that work with us is that they also have that. Um, and, you know, maybe a company out there that doesn't give a crap about, about cybersecurity, maybe they're not thinking about, you know, the, the insurance, maybe that's, that's why. So um, this last, I'm just going to call BS on this last uh, two paragraphs here. This is uh, insurance company uh, fodder, I think. Um, but the, this points to the success of risk controls in making companies more resilient and supporting more stable insurance market conditions this year, despite higher ransomware activity. Conditions are now relenting and buyers that have the correct risk controls in place are being rewarded with more favorable pricing and terms. I don't know. I don't know if I agree with that. I, that. I think what's really going on here, guys, quite frankly, is these ransomware guys are getting basically getting involved to the point where they're telling the ransomware or the person that they're talking to in that initial contact, do not contact your insurance company. Right. And I believe that that's happening because they're basically making a calculated decision. What, what's your, what's your, what's it going to cost you out of pocket no matter what, because you have a deductible, right? So if, if they can get that number and then they, and they can get a number, you know, basically, around what they would have to pay in the deductible and they're happy with that number, they'll be like, okay, look, you're like, cause what's going to happen if the insurance company gets involved, this is going to cost the, the, these guys. If you're thinking about this from a, from a business standpoint, these cyber criminals are going to have to dedicate more time and resources, specialized people that are good with negotiating with these, with these people that the insurance company is going to bring in. And they just kind of know the market. They they're dealing these insurance companies send the same people in. They're dealing with the same people. They know the MO. They know what to do. They know what's going to happen if they bring these people in. And I think that that's what's really going on here. It's not that businesses are more resilient. That's not the case. We know they're not investing. We know that they're not doing the right stuff still. And I think this is another poor call, like I called eight months ago at the end, at the end of 2022 when I said, this is this is we are not getting ahead of ransomware. Hold hold your horses. And I'm saying here, this isn't because people are more resilient. This is because cyber criminals are getting smarter. They don't want insurance companies involved. So they're working with these businesses directly to make sure that the insurance companies are never called. Yep. And, and, and they can they can spin this however they want, but that's the reality of it. Incidents are up. Ransomware payments may have leveled off because you're not getting involved because they don't want you involved. <clears throat> and they want these companies to deal with this stuff on their own. Because think about it. You don't get an insurance company involved. There's a good chance that you're probably not going to do anything ever again to, to beat things up. And that you're probably a good victim to get hit again. So they know they're going to get you again. You get an insurance company involved. You know that insurance company is not going to write you another policy until you correct things that they find when they come in and help you with the ransomware. Right. 
Anything else you guys want to add? Sorry, I went off a little bit there, but that's no. true. Yeah, no, it's good stuff, man. All right. Get you started much, so it's kind of good that we got you started. <laughs> I mean, it, it's it's just the truth. I mean, I know this business like the back of my hand now, and I know what's going on out there, and, and these cyber criminal groups don't want to deal with insurance companies. And even companies are going to have cyber insurance, and they're going to opt not to use it because they're going to be educated by these cyber criminals well, if you call your insurance company, this is going to happen and that's going to happen. And they're going to make it seem like calling the insurance company is worse than dealing with them. That's the psychological game that they, they flip on people. They're not wrong. No, great <laughs> tactic. So, all right. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. We will uh, mm -hmm. see you guys in the next episode next week on time. Right, Randy? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, have a good one. We'll talk to you next week, everyone. Take care. Take care. Share the show. Share the show. Share the show.